Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm going to admit something to you off the top here. First of all, it's great to have you with us here on this Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. But I'm going to re- admit something to you kind of ridiculous off the top here for a moment, that we're going to kind of make a, a point on the show today that's probably pretty wild. And you may say when you hear this will be, that's not likely to come true. I totally acknowledge that the odds against this coming true are not necessarily certain, not necessarily likely, but they are possible And that possibility is the kind of thing that you should not miss. This is one of those deals today. This is sort of just for fun. We're going to have some fun with this topic here over the course of the next couple of minutes. Here's what it centers on. And maybe I'm in kind of a vacation spirit, and that's why I'm doing stuff like this. Here's what this centers around. One of the things you constantly hear about Kirby Smart at Georgia is, is that Kirby Smart's the next Nick Saban. Uh, you hear that from time to time, and that Georgia is sort of the new Alabama. Some of us have heard that so much we're tired of it, but you kind of hear that a lot. And to be able to say about Kirby Smart, oh, Kirby Smart is the next Nick Saban, well, that's obviously a huge compliment. Nick Saban's won seven national championships. To think that Kirby Smart might be the next guy in line to be like Saban has been and the success that Saban has enjoyed, well, who wouldn't want to have that said about them? But what if I told you this? What if I told you that might not be ambitious enough? That there's actually a chance that what Kirby Smart really is, is something even better than what Nick Saban has been. Now, I realize this is totally ridiculous. I understand that, that that we're really kind of, you know, we're out there a little bit on this, but we're kind of doing this just for fun. I want to kind of make the case on this here for a moment. Let me start with this. First of all, Smart's already won two national championships, and we have reason to believe that he's already got his eye on a third because a lot of us saw the video, and I think Connor Riley got a great shot of this too, of Smart when he was running around in Los Angeles after Georgia had beaten Texas uh, TCU 65-7, to and Smart kind of held the one finger in the air, the two fingers in the air. Then he put that third finger in the air with an acknowledgement that, yeah, Georgia's going to come back, as we say around here, to go for three in 23. So in terms of legacy building, in terms of really adding more substantial lines to the resume, the idea that Smart on the field where Georgia won the second one is already thinking about the third one, that is obviously a big part of the story of how great he possibly could be. In fact, we're not the only ones who noticed that. Uh, Reese Davis uh, noticed that too, obviously on the sideline for all of this. He goes on with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter in the immediate aftermath of the game and in the midst of kind of talking about what Georgia is right now, where its place in college football is, Reese Davis couldn't help but make mention of the thing that he had seen, the fact that Kirby Smart was already eyeing that third national championship. This is good stuff from Reese Davis from SportsCenter at the time. Take a listen to this. They're the most dominant program, certainly the most dominant team in the country, Scott. I mean, that was as brilliant and nearly perfect a performance as you'll see on a championship stage. And since you were counting up the touchdowns, I'll tell you what happened just behind the camera that I'm looking into right now about five minutes ago. Kirby Smart ran by. There was a pack of dog fans up there still woofing and barking. And Kirby put up one finger, and then he put up two fingers. And then he put up three fingers, and okay. they like they like that result. So now I tried to get him on the stage to say, "Hey, we'll see you in Houston next year." 
he wouldn't go for that, but uh, when he thought nobody was looking, he's ready to count up another <laughs> one. But yeah. it was just a remarkable performance, and they are the standard in the sport. So Kirby would later say in an interview also with Reese Davis that why he did that, and we called this the time. This is one of those things that we got 100% right. Maybe Kirby not being of a similar age, we sort of have a similar mindset about this kind of stuff, is, you know, big Jordan guy. He's, you know, paying the homage to the way in which Jordan, you know, would celebrate championships, uh, certainly one time in particular that I can think of that's kind of a Jordan thing and we sort of called that at the time Connor Riley also wrote a story about this at dognation.com too you can go back and get some of the details there so smart doing the three fingers is not so much a guarantee that Jordan's winning a championship as much as it is you know listen if you're our age this is the way we saw greats celebrate back in the day with the, with the fingers in the air and that's just kind of what he did there but nonetheless even if that's not meant to be sort of a stake in the ground of yeah you better believe we're winning the national championship here this year it's obvious that he thinks of that as a very real possibility. So when you think about the potential greatness of Kirby, the potential greatness that he's propelling Georgia to, the notion that they could win a third national championship this upcoming season, well, obviously that'd be a big part of all of that. And I am by no means going to guarantee that it happens because I do believe the the challenge of trying to do that for a third straight year is just monumental. I, I really do. But it also can't be denied they will be the favorite to do it even if it's more likely they don't than they do there is still no one more favored to do this than what georgia will be for this upcoming season so we all would agree with that hey there is a very real possibility georgia gets that third national championship here in 2023 what about beyond that what about beyond that this is where i think things get kind of interesting that it could quite possibly be that kirby smart just has the exact right mentality to sort of keep on winning beyond just 2023 that 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 clearly Georgia is just so well set up for success for this upcoming season they may just do it whether they try to or not just because they're just that much better than everybody else but beyond that smart might really have the right mentality in place that allows Georgia to stack national championships in a way that maybe not even Nick Saban was able to do at Alabama and I want to give you a clip here that kind of I think bolsters this point a little bit the, the subject came up of um, uh, with Scott Van Pelt of the idea of taking some time to celebrate this. How quickly do you move on to the next thing? Do you take some time to appreciate that? In the midst of talking about that, I think you see an appetite for winning from smart that is not going to be satiated anytime soon. This is really good stuff from the national championship game night. Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter interviewing Kirby Smart. Once again, take a listen to this. Well, I'm going to enjoy it. I can promise you that. I'm not going to be having a staff meeting tomorrow morning. There you I can go. promise you that. We're going to enjoy this. And uh, our, our kids our kids have earned it, you know, and you want uh-huh. to enjoy these moments. It's what makes you work harder to keep doing it. So I'm going to savor this one and uh, get to work on Wednesday or Thursday. Understood. And you should, man. I mean, look, I had a really successful person tell me, if you don't enjoy the view, right, at some point, like, you keep climbing, yeah. But, man, if you don't enjoy the view, then what the hell's the point in climbing, Right. The truth. That is the honest truth. We are going to enjoy the view. People are going to keep coming after us, and we're going to keep hunting people. People are going to keep coming after us, and we're going to keep hunting people. Uh, does that sound like a man who's going to get tired of winning national championships anytime soon? It doesn't to me. I'll also say this, and this is kind of an aside. This is not really part of the topic. 
when Smart says there at the, at the beginning about we're not going to have a staff meeting the day after the national championship, I don't know this to be 100% fact. I believe he may have been taking a shot at Nick Saban right there because I think Saban may have done that at one point. I don't know that to be 100% true, so please don't quote me on that. Not that you would anyway, but it sort of feels like that was a little bit of a failed jab at his old boss who maybe didn't stop to smell the roses as much as he possibly could. But Smart there sounds like not just this sort of maniacal guy who wins because he can't think of anything else to do. He wins because he likes it. He wins because he enjoys it. He doesn't need it, but he still wants it. And that's the kind of guy that I don't think gets tired of that kind of thing anytime soon. In fact, let me put a little bit finer point on this for you for a moment. You know, Kirby Smart is only, what, 47? He's already won twice. You know, Nick Saban didn't win his first, which came in 2003 at LSU until he was about 52 or so. So Smart's already well ahead of uh, the pace at this point in his career than, than Nick Saban was. That's why, as I told you a moment ago, that listen to the way that Smart talks there, the way that he enjoys winning. He's driven to succeed. Then once he succeeds, he stops and takes some time to appreciate that. And he just wants to keep doing that over and over again as long as he possibly can. This is part of why I say that to say that Kirby Smart might make college football's next Nick Saban might simply not be ambitious enough. He's already won more titles uh, earlier in his career than Nick Saban would have been able to say at that same time. Saban obviously went on a great run late in his career. But what if Kirby Smart is not the next Nick Saban? What if he's college football's version of John Wooden? Because Nick Saban's got seven national championships. John Wooden's got 10 national championships. What if that's one day the way we think of Kirby Smart as sort of being the kind of guy that stacked national championships at a previously unforeseen rate, even more so than the great Nick Saban, who we obviously acknowledge is an all-time great coach. What if Kirby's even better than that? Now, you're going to come back and say, well, B.A., that's just absurd. Kirby Smart's not winning 10 national championships in Georgia, and I would say it's probably a safe bet. Certainly, It's certainly safer to assume, if it's a yes-no bet, it's certainly safer to assume, no, a football coach is not winning 10 national championships. That's certainly safer to assume than the opposite because that's a, just a really hard thing to do. There's a reason that no one's done that in the past. That is, at least at the uh, at, at the FBS level, the, the, the high-power kind of five level, uh, there's a reason why that hasn't been done in the past. But let me give you one more thing to consider here. And this is one of those things that is, you know, you, can, you have to speculate on this a little bit, but but it's at least something to consider. This is the final year coming up of the four-team playoff. Now, Georgia sort of figured out the four-team playoff pretty good. They've won the last two. This is the final year of the four-team playoff. Now, after the four-team playoff, what are we doing? We're expanding to 12. Now, part of the reason that we're expanding to 12, really the main reason we're expanding to 12 is, is that the, the powers that be in college football believe it's better for business to get give more access to more programs in college football. The expanded playoff brings more teams into the discussion. There will be parity, in other words, in terms of who can make the playoff. But if we look at other examples in the sport, parity in terms of who can make the playoff does not produce parity in terms of who wins the national title. Because George is about to ex uh, exist in kind of a 12-team playoff world, expanded playoff world, more games to be won in order to claim a national championship. Well, look at a level of the sport that has had an expanded playoff, at least in comparison to our uh, FBS-level playoff, an expanded playoff for quite some time. What you see is the opposite parity. North Dakota State did not win FCS this year, but they have won the national championship nine times in the last 12 years. So this notion that the expanded playoff is going to create a more 
significant challenge for Georgia. If Georgia remains the very best program in college football, the the track record established by the FCS playoff would suggest that, hey, maybe we might see the same team win more and more and more and more because that is certainly what's happened at the FCS level. So as I said before, this is all mostly just for fun. We obviously don't know what the future holds for uh, Kirby Smart in Georgia, both in the 2023 season or even the season to come after that. But it's at least possible, given the fact that Smart's already won the national championship twice and he's only 47 and he certainly doesn't show any signs of slowing down anytime soon. It's at least possible that Georgia has a whole lot more winning coming in its future. And and the uh, future for this program could actually be brighter than almost anyone could even imagine. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us live on video. Uh, normally, it's 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app today, and throughout the rest of this week, it's 10 a.m. As I am pre-recorded, we're on vacation, we're having a great time, and we are happy to have you with us. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, dognation.com, of course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, Podcast, wherever you find them there as well, all the various podcast platforms. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. We work hard to give you really good shows when we're away. We can't be here live and doing what we do on a daily basis. We try to still deliver something really good from a pre-recorded standpoint. So hopefully we're taking good care of your time with all of that. Certainly, I know my friends at Pella Window and Door of George can take really good care of you there as well. Energy efficient windows and doors. That's what they're famous for providing. And all that matters here right now, because when you got that, you know, maybe cold weather outside, you wanted to stay outside. Warm, toasty heat coming from those uh, heating systems, fireplace, whatever else. That stuff's expensive. You want that stuff to stay on the inside where it's supposed to be there as well. And that is what Pella Window and Door of George is all about. Keeping the inside where it's supposed to be, the outside where that's supposed to be. Energy efficient windows and doors keep you feeling nice and comfortable on your home. They also look better uh, on the outside there as well. Improving curb appeal, always kind of a nice thing to do. You can be a good neighbor, but you can also potentially impact positively your resale value in your home there too. I'll tell you a true story. I was walking around the square. I'm from Gainesville, downtown Gainesville, walking around the square the other day. saw a commercial project going up and the big sticker right there on the brand new windows, Pella windows right there. I thought that's kind of nice to see. I should have taken a picture of it, but I didn't. Uh, But nonetheless, it was real. It was true. You you see folks just trusting that Pella product as the true market leader uh, wherever you might be. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach out to them. Pellaofga.com slash dog nation. That's the uh, website. Pellaofga.com slash dog nation. Also, give them a call. 678-638-1429. 678-638-1429. I want you to tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said that, I would take good, that they would take good care of you because I truly believe they will. They'll serve you right. They'll do you right. They'll give you an unbelievable experience when it comes to a great door, terrific windows you can even stop by and see them their experience center right there in Duluth I think you'll love that there too so check out Pella window and door of Georgia today because they are viewed to be the best all right special treat for us today coming up in a moment we're going to hear from Connor Riley now normally on a Monday it's John Stinchko we're on vacation this week we had to pre-record these shows it's a little bit of a hassle to try to schedule that with a million different people so Connor good enough to sort of pinch it for us a little bit today and also his normal slot tomorrow that should be good we'll do that with him coming up uh, over the course of the next couple of days. And it's going to be a fun conversation. As I told you on Friday, we're doing things a little bit different with some of our guests here this week, kind of asking them some sort of broader questions than sometimes we would be able to do on what might be a busier normal show during the kind of sort of live portion of our year. So we'll do that here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse. And I want to talk about 
a topic that I don't know that it's gotten quite enough attention as of yet and maybe an example of what has actually been somewhat misunderstood about Georgia coach Kirby Smart and if if there is a misunderstanding about this then I would say that Smart himself to be frank here for a moment Smart himself has probably contributed to why this is misunderstood because Kirby had a real spike the football moment at the end of the Tennessee game one of the most you know, impressive wins for Georgia in this past season. Really one of the thrilling days for Georgia fans in Sanford Stadium because of the fact that Tennessee had been given that number one ranking and you know, Georgia obviously, you know, made short work of all of that. But it was also a reminder that Georgia was here to stay for the 2022 season. And all the talk of, you know, what Georgia was not going to be back during the offseason when everybody was in love with Alabama and Alabama kind of comes off the Georgia roster and you get a guy like Jermaine Burton, you go to Tech and you get Jameer Gibbs, you get a Vanderbilt, you get an offensive lineman. Said that out loud for a moment. Alabama had to go to Vanderbilt to find an offensive lineman but nonetheless you know Alabama just collects all these transfers left and right and that's Nick Saban's way of kind of you know evolving and embracing the sort of new school approach in college football and that was going to supposedly work to the tune of Alabama winning a national championship well it didn't and after the game against Tennessee we don't know for sure what was on uh, Kirby Smart's mind when he said this but he certainly was willing to draw a contrast between Georgia and other programs that maybe had been a little bit more aggressive in pursuing transfers. This is unforgettable. Kirby with CBS after the game. I don't know if this is more enjoyable because we did or didn't because I enjoy the guys we have taken. I love Taiki and I loved when Mo Smith was here and, and I don't even know whoever else that we've had come. So I've loved that. But I just think that there's a lot of uh, thought that that's the, the way to success. And uh, it certainly can help you and it can hurt you. It's, it's, it's one way or the other, but it's, uh, I mean, we tried to get kids out of there. We tried to get a couple out of there and, and, and didn't get them, but it's getting the right ones. It's not how many or any it's, does the guy fit your culture? And, um, I'm proud of the kids that stayed here and competed and, and, and wanted to improve and get better because we had, we had quite a few leave too. So I didn't describe that clip correctly. I mentioned the CBS clip. That's actually his response to being asked about what he said on CBS when he talked about, uh, you know, not taking anybody to the transfer portal. But as Smart points out, hey, even though we kind of, you know, made mention of not taking someone from the portal after that game, as Kirby says, you know, we still were interested in transfer portal kids. That's what's important to keep in mind. That may be you know, response, as I said before, to some of the misunderstanding that's out there, that because Georgia wasn't a transfer-driven team in 2023, because it didn't really go, I should say, in 2022, the fact that it didn't really go into the portal to bring any players into the program, that somehow people had this assumption that Kirby Smart was anti-portal, that's not something that he's interested in doing. And this upcoming year, I think, obviously gives you an idea that while Kirby, I don't believe, ever wants Georgia to be primarily a portal-driven team, primarily outsourcing the development of your players to somebody else and then try to import those guys into your program. I don't think Kirby ever wants to be that. When there is a chance to bring in a quality player from the transfer portal or a small handful of quality players in the transfer portal, that is something that Georgia is going to want to do. In fact, one of the guys that Georgia has brought in this year is Dominic Lovett from Missouri. And boy, it's easy to kind of overlook this just in light of everything else that that, that Georgia sort of has going for it in 2023. But Dominic Lovett from Missouri, when you look at the stat line that he put up a year ago, 846 yards uh, for the Tigers last year with a team that really had some quarterback struggles, that didn't prevent Lovett from putting up big numbers. You're kind of left to conclude that, oh, wow, when Georgia does go to the portal, doesn't always go to the portal, but when it does go to the portal, man, it has a chance to bring in somebody pretty good for doing that. In fact, I was kind of looking at some of the Dominic Levitt stuff the other day, and I saw an interesting quote from uh, Eli Drinkwitz back during the season 
about the fact that they really felt like on their roster that love it was being overlooked because I think the average fan may not have realized I mean, 846 yards is a pretty big year from a receiving standpoint. Maybe some of the Missouri folks didn't feel like Dominic Love was getting enough attention. Here's a quote from uh, Eli Drinkwitz about that, about the attention that that maybe Love wasn't getting. Uh, Drinkwitz saying, if they're not paying attention to him right now, they should be because he's really good. We're fortunate to have him. I think there's a lot of hype around another wide receiver on our team, which probably causes not enough attention to Love. That's Eli Drinkwitz going back to November, and I think that's probably true. The other receiver that he's mentioning, obviously, is Luther burden burden the former five star big deal for a guy like that to go to missouri and he did get a lot of attention and burden's a terrific athlete and a good player but lovett i believe had a better year than he uh, than, than uh than, than burden did burden had more touchdowns and lovett had far more receiving yards um i believe that lovett had the better overall year so while burden was getting the lion's share of the attention as drinkwood says that listen dominic lovett from missouri a year ago a team that needed every good player you could get Dominic Levitt was a very good player for Missouri this past season, and now he's at Georgia. And when you start thinking about, hey, you know, at the national championship game this past year, we almost saw um, Brock Bowers eclipse the thousand-yard mark for the just the second time in program history. And you're kind of left to wonder, well, when is that? You know, Terrence Edwards always jokes about this because he's the only previous thousand-yard receiver that Georgia's ever had. When is somebody else going to join me in that club? Well, it looks like Brock Bowers has a chance to do that. We talked the other day about Lad McConkey's chance of having a really big statistical season. Keep Dominic Lovett on your mind in this discussion there as well. There's a chance that Lovett, who put up big numbers last year and kind of a bad team, bad offense, boy, a transfer arriving to Georgia with a lot of value attached to his name, and maybe one of those guys who can also make that push uh, here at the uh, as, as a part of Georgia for a big statistical season in his own right. We'll make that around the doghouse here today. Now, as we get ready to transition, normally we talk to John Stinchcomb here in our program, and normally that's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. No John today, but still a reminder to you to become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club to take advantage of all the great opportunities that come your way for that because here's how it works when you go to marlowstavern.com you can sign up and you get a big thank you gift just for signing up you get a great savings right there right away for uh signing up there at marlowstavern.com then after that each time you go to marlowe's tavern as a member of the insiders club you earn what are qualified visits when you spend at least 15 dollars in food or beverage you earn that qualified visit and after you collect those qualified visits eventually you get a chance to also kind of redeem that for a free entree on your next visit all the details and everything you need to know about this is right there online at marlowstavern.com so go to marlowstavern.com learn how you can get uh involved in the marlowe's tavern insider club and work your way towards free entrees and great savings and also special offers on your birthday and a big thank you just for signing up there as well so marlowstavern.com the place to go for a lot more on that all right we will continue our look before the show is done some of those big questions facing teams around the sec kind of laying the groundwork for what spring practice is going to look like around this league we'll do some more of that here coming up in just a little bit but for now on more of the very ambitious topic we had on kirby smart to start the show and a lot of other fun stuff there as well let's talk to connor riley here today on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia today great to get a rare monday appearance from uh, connor riley nice enough to pinch hit here as i'm on vacation this week and fun to have uh, some conversation we might not normally get a chance to have. In fact, Connor, I kind of want to begin that way here right now. And when you were with us last week, you kind of you know shared your thought. You thought that Kirby Smart was going to coach at Georgia as long as he physically was capable of doing so, that, that he might be here for quite some time to come. And I guess along those lines, 
I was going to talk about this on one of my uh, pre-recorded shows that we're that we're doing here today there as well, which is that oftentimes you sort of hear Kirby kind of compared to, ooh, maybe he's the next uh, the next Nick Saban. But what I've sort of jokingly said and tried to make my case for why this is maybe more realistic than it might seem is, is that instead of being the next Nick Saban for college football, he what, what he might actually become is college football's version of John Wooden. Somebody wins like 10 national championships. And, you know, part of the reason for this is, is if you look at like expanded playoff world, you know, some people think that creates more parity. But if you look at like the FCS playoff, there's actually a lot less parity in that sport where North Dakota State has sort of run through the expanded FCS playoffs more often than not over the course of of the last decade plus here. So that's kind of the premise for all of this. But beyond that, I'll ask you, if you want to be the most ambitious possible, how many more national championships do you think that Kirby Smart, I don't want to say can win because that makes it you know a little too low of a bar to cross. What's the most, I guess, uh, likely answer for how many more national championships you might could expect from, from Kirby Smart here at Georgia? The... Mid two thousands child that I am wants me to go meet girls and say the limit does not exist. <laughs> uh, you know, reali- realistically, what Mike Krzyzewski I think has five. Uh, yeah. I mean, Nick Saban is at is at seven right now. Kirby Smart showing no signs of slowing down, and like we'll see how long he ultimately wants to do this. But like, I don't know. I, I think he's going to want to coach forever. Uh, he, he coaches at one speed. He coaches at one intensity. And, and look, we've seen enough. Throughout the history of college football, you know, Joe Paterno did this until he basically died. Uh, uh, Bear Bryant literally did this until he died. Uh, I think Nick Saban is going to do the same thing, uh, this idea that he's going to step away and retire. This has been Nick Saban's life, and he's still very, very good at it and still very much enjoys it. And until someone says he can't coach anymore, he's going to continue to do so. I think even not just at the, you know, coaching level, but Look at the game of football as a whole. Uh, you know, Peyton Manning played quarterback until his body physically couldn't do it anymore. Tom Brady is doing the same. Uh, the game of football, when you achieve the highest levels of, of success, you make certain sacrifices and wire yourself a certain way to where you're not just winning once, but you're trying to win every single year. And there's no unwiring of that, I believe. And I think that's why you're going to continue to see Kirby Smart atop the world of college football. You know. I, look, I don't know how long he's ultimately going to end up coaching. We'll see about that. But I, I don't think he has much of a desire to step away and change. And given, you know, college football is already changing a lot as he's sort of dealing with it, with the transfer portal, with NIL, given how much it has already changed in his time since taking over as the head coach at Georgia, I, I think we're going to continue to see him adapt and adjust and continue to win at a very high level. Uh, and because of that, I think you're going to see him continue – to watch you keep doing this. No one ever really wants to walk away at the top. The reason they do so is just because they can't do it anymore. And so long as Kirby is healthy, both physically and mentally, I would expect that to be the case. Since we're making cross-sports comparisons, I'll make another one here too. What Kirby reminds me a little bit is like a Tiger Woods who had so much great success so early in his life that you're left to conclude, wow, he can just keep winning for decades and decades and decades because that's what golf provides the opportunity to do. And as a young coach, Kirby Smart sort of feels the same way. And yet, when you look at Tiger Woods, at one point in time, it seemed unimaginable that he wouldn't exceed Jack Nicholas's record for major championships one. And yet, now we know that he is in all likelihood going to fall short of doing that. That these types of things have a way of ending up being more difficult than they sort of seem to be on paper. And while I think it's kind of fun to be really, really ambitious with your prediction for Kirby Smart, with my prediction for Kirby Smart. 
I think this also, Connor, has to kind of come with a little bit of a baked-in caveat, which is sports has a way of surprising us for both the good and the bad, and it seems like right now Kirby Smart's set to steamroll through the sport. But somehow, some way, there'll be some adversity, there'll be some challenge to deal with at some point in time because even the very best in sports sort of deal with that eventually. Right. Uh, you know, we'll see what the 12-team playoff does in terms of making an annual college football play- playoff contender. Does it become easier or more difficult? And there are other good coaches out there that are capable of taking advantages of the resources that are presented to them in building a contender. You know, we'll see about Ryan Day. We'll see about Lincoln Riley. I'm sure there are plenty of young coaches out there that we don't know of yet that are going to be contending for championships in recent years. Uh, you know, Kalen DeBoer at uh, Washington. Um, you know, maybe Marcus Freeman gets things going at Notre Dame. Maybe Tommy Reese succeeds as Alabama's offensive coordinator. Uh, maybe Glenn Schumann replaces Nick Saban in Alabama and achieves great success there. There are going to be great coaches coming in the future, uh, pushing Kirby Smart along and vying for national championships. But with what we've already seen from Kirby Smart and his time and his willingness to adapt, I mean, we're recording this just after they they hired uh, Mike Boba to replace Todd Munkin. Let's look back to when Todd Munkin came in. You know, there are a lot of people, I think myself included, that were willing to give James Coley a second year and sort of see what he can do for this program. And Kirby Smart, you know, just said, no, this isn't good enough. I know it. We need to go out and try and find someone different and bring someone in. And that was Todd Munkin, and it worked a great success. And he's going to try and do that once again with Mike Bobo. And for all the Georgia fans out there that are fretting about this idea of what Bobo might do with this program, if Mike Bobo is not good enough as Georgia's offensive coordinator, if Mike Bobo gets in the way of Georgia winning national championships, Kirby Smart won't hesitate to replace him. Let's not forget that in the discussion and the discourse. And his willingness to adapt and change. Well, yes, he's insulated himself at Georgia now. I think it's still a very key driving factor of what he wants to do and what he wants to continue to do at Georgia, which is win national championships. Speaking of Bobo, new offensive coordinator, and yet, you know, not the only sort of, I guess, period of transition that Georgia deals with here as it moves on for its what it hopes is its third straight national championship in 2023. A lot of assistant coaches are going to be kind of in the spotlight because of what they need to impre- uh, uh, replace or because of you know, maybe certain upgrades that Georgia needs in certain spots. So I'll give you the coordinators. I'll give you the position coaches. Who do you think Georgia's most important assistant coach is for 2023? Does recruiting factor in this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to say Del McGee here. Okay. Del McGee here has been a very trusted member of the staff. He is one of two day one assistants still with Curry, the other being Del McGee or excuse me, Glenn Schumann here. I'll be interested to see what we see out of this running back room this year. You know, yes, Georgia has great weapons and a very talented offensive line. We'll see. I think Kendall Milton has become somewhat underrated, as strange as it is to sound in his time at Georgia. And injuries have played a big part in that. Can he have a really big breakout year? Can someone in that running back room take advantage of the fact that Georgia is going to have a new quarterback? Because the last time we saw Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator here at the University of Georgia – 2014, Todd Gurley had success. Nick Chubb had success. Didn't matter who was the primary ball carrier. Georgia found ways to get great production out of its running backs. That necessarily wasn't the case out of Todd Munkin. And yes, you can point to the fact that maybe, you know, Zamir White, James Cook, Kenny McIntosh were of the same oak of Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb. But all three of those guys I just named are going to be NFL level running backs. And so I'll be interested to see what this running back room does this year as well. On top of the fact that 
Kendall Milton is the last top 60 overall prospect that Georgia has gotten that is a running back, and he recruited, he was committed to Georgia in 2020. They haven't landed a top 50 player at the position going back to 2018. And so I'm going to be really interested with the new offense, with, with what's all that's been out there. How does Dell McGee go about recruiting and bringing in talent at that running back room? He already has a commitment from Dwight Phillips, a very fast player in the 2024, 2024 recruiting cycle. And who is that second running back they get? Because they're obviously going to go out and bring in two with Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton both being in their fourth year of eligibility here. I'm really interested in seeing what this next year looks like for Del McGee because there was times and chatter during the season. I think you and I had both discussed the idea that he might be a possible head coaching candidate somewhere else. I didn't come to fruition. We'll see if that happens in the 2023 season. But if he goes out and recruits well and Georgia has a very successful rushing attack next season – It'll be interesting to sort of see what things look like for Del McGee this time next year. I think it's a very interesting answer. This is something that's a little bit new for me, Connor. I haven't really done this a lot for my vacation shows in the past, but for you and for Mike and for Jeff, who's going to be joining me for some of these interviews, we're kind of trying to, um, I guess, do some survey-style questions, some things that we might not normally have a chance to talk about. The pre-recorded shows give us a little bit of freedom there on that. So here's one of the questions I'm asking here this week. When you look at Georgia, let's start with the 2022 season. Eventually, I'm going to build this to something bigger. What do you think the indelible memory, a moment from this 2022 season, if it can only be encapsulated as just one thing, is there one memory that stands out for you above everything else? It was ironically the one game I wasn't at, but I was watching on TV uh, from San Diego. Hendon Hooker getting sacked for the seventh time against Georgia, and he's just sprawled out on all fours just exhausted um and it speaks to the level of toughness that existed with this georgia team i thought they were far and away the toughest team in college football i think that was their calling card and it really showed in that tennessee game that was the big announcement and spinning it forward here a little bit look it's unfortunate that marvin harrison got knocked out of the game here but the hit that javon board had on marvin harrison i thought was a textbook hit it was perfect it was tough it came from a guy that was overlooked and doubted at, at certain points in his career, overcame some adversity during the 2022 season as Boyd was arrested at a DUI in, in the end of September. And for him to make that play, show the toughness, the recovery, to get there, to break up that pass, make it essentially a four-point play because Ohio State settled for a field goal instead of if Harrison catches that as a touchdown. I think those two plays exhibit the toughness that was required to play for Georgia in 2022 and why the Bulldogs ultimately ended up winning the national championship this season. Both great answers. I totally agree on a lot of those fronts. Now, let me broaden this out a little bit. We don't know how many more championship Georgia wins on this streak. Right now, we just know it's back-to-back. So let's just look at this universe right now of the last two seasons, comparing both 2021 and 2022. Of both years, what is the single biggest memory of both years here? In other words, how the moment that defines the back-to-back era for Georgia here. Is it something for 2021, or is it something from 2022? To me, it's the Ringo interception. Yeah. And Keely Ringo is fascinating in, in, in his arc uh, at Georgia. And I'm, I'm going to write about this a ton uh, and run up to the draft. You know, I think a lot of people expected Keely to be this super-duper, you know, Deion Sanders, Darrell Reavers cross, and he wasn't that. But he was a damn good player at the University of Georgia, made a ton of big plays, had the interception against Tennessee this past year, picked off Will Levis, who's going to be a top 10 pick in the upcoming NFL draft. And in that moment where he intercepts Bryce Young and then returns it for a touchdown, it's not just the sigh of – and it sort of ushers in the new era of Georgia football where it's no longer the sigh of relief that 
when he made the interception, like, oh my gosh, like, you're finally going to win this. It's not just that he, he did that. He returns it for a touchdown and turns it from a period to a full-blown exclamation point. Like, this is who Georgia is now. We're going to not just win it. We're going to stomp on you and do it in a manner that is both dramatic and cinematic. And, and I think that's what makes the Ringo play stand out to me and marked a, a clear changing of the guard. I, and it is not lost to me that it was against Alabama. I do think that plays a key role in this these past two seasons. But he could have very easily just gone down. But no, Keeley went that extra mile to make a further statement. And that's what both, I believe, these Georgia teams did this year. So in the immediate aftermath of the Peach Bowl, I'm talking about like the night of the day, the next morning after, I tried to briefly make a case that the field goal being missed as the clock struck midnight was the biggest moment of the last two years. The Peach Bowl was clearly the best game, I think, of this two-year era. But this is one of those things where I was you know, guilty of recency bias in the moment because in the prevailing weeks since then, it's fairly obvious that nothing individually from the 2022 season is as memorable as the Ringo interception was. Briefly, I thought it might be. I think the, the Peach Bowl is the single best game of the two-year period of time. But if you're going to really distill it down to a moment, there's just nothing that beats the Ringo moment, even though the Mitchell touchdown in that game may have been you know, as big of a deal because it gave Georgia the lead. Now, that's a pretty big moment in the game in terms of oil paintings and things like that, tattoos. No one's getting a tattoo of A.D. Mitchell, all due respect, that touchdown. But the Ringo thing, we see that a ton. And in, in, in the aftermath of this 2022 season, as special as it was, it's almost like it was too dominant to create anything as dramatic. And I love your phrase, cinematic, as, as the Ringo interception. This was just a different kind of year than that. No, and, you know, maybe if the Ruggles kick from Ohio State wasn't so atrociously yeah. missed, and maybe if, you know, Darius Smith leaping in the air gets a paw on it and blocks it, maybe we view it a little bit differently. Yeah. But that, in my opinion, was more of Ohio State messing up rather than Georgia going out there and taking it. Um, and so because of that, and this is where I think the real change is Georgia just bludgeoning TCU to death in that national title game. Unfortunately, there's no one real play right. that sticks out. For me, it's probably the, the Brock Bowers touchdown to start the second half where he could have done whatever he wanted that day and just leaped up and grabbed the, the touchdown over – some poor TCU defender, and, you know, Georgia was winning that game anyway at that point, but they made it very clear. Like, TCU, like, you're not better than us. There's nothing you can do about it. To quote Talladega and I, Georgia woke up in fifth excellence that morning and continued to do it all over the field against TCU that night. And so I just think, you know, as great as the Peach Bowl is and was, and you're 100% right there, the fact that the Ringo pick came in the national championship game, the fact that it came against Alabama, who has so often been a thorn for Georgia, I think just adds that last little level to it that makes it all the more special. Connor, it's a great conversation. Appreciate your time here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Unusual for us to speak to you on a Monday, but tomorrow we'll do our normal thing and talk to you on a Tuesday. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really good stuff. Great to have Connor Riley on the program here today. We'll get a chance to hear from Connor tomorrow. Normal spot for him, so... As I explained, our former players, John Stinchcomb and Terrence Edwards, Jake Fromm, a little bit harder, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, the whole like logistical nightmare of, uh, of scheduling the pre-recorded shows is not an easy thing to do. So it's sort of like sort of easier just kind of like have the regular Dog Nation folks on this week. We'll bring the former players on again next week. So 
we'll give them that little bit of time off. So a little bit of extra time to hear from Connor. That's always a, a great experience. Uh, good stuff there. And then we'll have a couple of days worth of Mike Griffith here, too, before Jeff Sintel joins us again on Friday. So a lot of really good stuff going on. And I am so thankful for my Dog Nation team, including Kaylee Manzel, who's kind of hanging out, helping me with this portion of the uh, of the pre-record. So we're just kind of rolling through here, having a good time. The thing of it is, if I can't be here, we still want to provide a show for you as much as we possibly can. We obviously didn't have one last Wednesday because of some unfortunate circumstances that I was dealing with. But when we can have a show, we want to try to have something for you. And listen, we work really hard to try to keep it entertaining and try to keep it informative even when it's not live we take that pretty seriously because your time is valuable to us so we don't want to waste it so with that said let's roll on and remind you speaking of time i am enjoying at least i hope i am i believe i am i'm fairly confident that i am i'm enjoying a royal caribbean cruise right now on board wonder of the seas largest cruise ship in the world doesn't get any better than that uh great time we got, you know, it's a seven night cruise. And one of the things I'll tell you is, is if you've never been on a cruise, if you haven't been on a cruise in a long time, I think one of the ways to kind of get either reacquainted with Royal Caribbean cruise ships or maybe experience this for the first time. When you have the seven night sailing on what's called an Oasis class of ship, you know, some of that kind of stuff can be a little bit hard to understand if you're not really too used to cruising. But right now, the largest category of cruise ship is the Oasis class of cruise ships. And when you're enjoying that, they have these various neighborhoods with all these different entertainment options in the various neighborhoods. And, you know, sometimes it's that seven night sailing on the larger cruise ship that just gives you a chance to experience the most and the best of what Royal Caribbean's all about. And so when I come back, I'll tell you about, you know, my chance to do that. I'm really sincere in my hope and my wish that a lot of you get a chance to enjoy this there, too, because it's just, I think, kind of a, a wonderful experience because it's a one stop shop for everything that you want to do the 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 food the 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 bars the live music the the entertainment obviously the various ports of call that you visit all of that for you when it comes to royal caribbean i want to tell you that when you book a royal caribbean cruise vacation using a great travel agent to help you out that's one of the best things you can do our great friend jessica slater a great option for you on that you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 she was an agent specially selected for us by royal caribbean to handle all of our Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. She is my personal travel agent. She can be yours there as well. You can also find out more online, royaldogs.com. That is royaldogs.com, a website that she's put together with information specifically about the Dog Nation cruise. So that is worth checking out for sure there. All right, with that said, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC right now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. We told you yesterday, I should say going back to Friday, we told you that we're going to do something a little bit different with our SEC through space here for right now. We're kind of looking at one big question for every team in the SEC. When we're done with this at the end of this week, we should have a pretty good snapshot of kind of where things stand with the SEC here right now at a spring practice, kind of post-signing day, looking ahead to the 2023 season. So on Friday, we looked at LSU, we looked at Florida. I want to look at a couple of different SEC teams today, starting with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, I think the South Carolina is among the more fascinating teams in the SEC because of the different versions of South Carolina we've sort of seen. We've seen South Carolina, frankly, look pretty bad at times. Uh, Looked really, really bad. Missouri obviously didn't play very well against uh, Georgia. There were some games this year in which uh, South Carolina really played pretty terrible. But by the end of the season, they're also hanging 60-whatever points against Tennessee. And I think a big question that has to be answered this year is 
who exactly is the real South Carolina? And will that quote unquote real South Carolina emerge over the course of a full year? Because Gamecocks get quarterback coming back. Spencer Rattler's coming back for South Carolina this year. They lost a lot from the transfer portal. I do understand that. Uh, but Rattler returns for a team that by the end of the season was actually playing a pretty good brand of football. Two of the bigger wins that any SEC team got this past year was South Carolina beating Tennessee and then turning around shortly after that and beating Clemson. Now, those were a couple of statement type wins. But can you build on that momentum for the following year, in year three? And some of this conversation is going to be a little bit similar to what we have about Tennessee, where, hey, it's one thing to be kind of an impressive first-year coach. Shane Bieber was. Josh Heupel was. It's another thing to sort of take that next step a little bit in year two. I would say certainly in Tennessee's case, they did that. In uh, Shane Beamer's case at South Carolina, based on the way they played at the end of the season, they did that, I think, as well. But in year three, can you become a more consistent performer? And can you show up week in and week out with you know the audience that's tuning in or the opponent on the other side knowing exactly what they're going to get from you? You know that's a an opportunity that exists right now for South Carolina and taking that next step as a program towards true excellence, true content contender status, or just more baseline consistency. That is not always necessarily an easy thing to do. Now, this is interesting for more than just South Carolina. This is also interesting as well for the teams that compete against South Carolina because in the SEC everyone's always looking for where the easy win is. And if you look at your schedule, you don't see the easy win. That may mean that you're the easy win for somebody else. And so that's what South Carolina, I think, right now is trying to decide. You know, where do they get their easy wins or are they the easy win for someone else? I think it's a pretty fascinating team. Now, a team that has historically played South Carolina each year since it's come to the SEC is the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, this is one of those moments in which hopefully I have a pretty good reputation of being pretty honest here and pretty candid. I don't know how much credibility I have on Texas A&M because obviously for a long time, I have sort of talked up the Aggies as a team that was building towards being a true, genuine contender in the SEC West. Some of you, to your credit, laughed at me when I said that. All of you were laughing at me by some point last year when it was pretty obvious that Texas A&M was just simply not good at all. So when you talk about Jimbo Fisher coming back here now for 2022 and trying to find out any of the magic this team had and beating Alabama a couple times, or I should say beating Alabama going back to 2021, putting together some wins in the 2020 season, playing Alabama close this past season. Is any of that real? Can any of that be replicated here in 2023? Um, I think when we have this discussion about how possible this is, it's almost like one of those things like a you know, a judge where I have to sort of like concede or no, not, not concede. What's the word do you use when somebody uh, uh, steps away from the proceedings here for a moment? It's almost I have to recuse. That's the word I'm looking for. I almost have to recuse myself from the A&M conversation because of how wrong I have proven to be on Texas A&M as often as I've kind of proven to be that. But it's at least worth considering here for a moment. You know, Bobby Petrino coming over as offensive coordinator does give the chance for some new offensive ideas, that, 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 that tiny chance to grow, that tiny chance to, to maybe be something a little bit more innovative, a little bit more entertaining, because that's also part of the issue too. A&M's just not very fun to watch. That, that the presence of Bobby Petrino at least gives you some chance at that. And to be honest with you, you know, as well as Texas A&M's recruited, because a lot of this actually predated the, uh, you know, the number one class in 2022. 
The truth is, is there ought to be more talent in that program than what A&M looked like a lot last year, which was really among the worst teams in the entire country, certainly worse than the SEC, among the worst in the entire country. I would suggest that Texas A&M is not that bad. Now, they may not be good. At one point in time, I thought they would be. They may not be good, but they may not be quite that bad either. So the issue for Jimbo Fisher is if it's not better, he's in real trouble. I don't care how much money he makes. At a place like Texas A&M, coming into a 16-team SEC where teams like Texas and Oklahoma that you've kind of you know maybe known in your past them coming back into your conference again that's no time for A&M to be you know playing half speed when it comes to the uh, the football product here so this is a very very big year for Jimbo Fisher a lot of you believe he's simply incapable of riding the ship he might be well if he can't he's probably going to be gone no matter how big that buyout is and then one more I'll give you here for a moment this is one of those deals where this is relevant for Georgia just simply on the basis of the fact that, you know, Georgia uh, will, will play Ole Miss this year. But beyond that, I also think it's one of the most underrated, uh, uh, ignored, not, not enough attention being paid to the fact that by the end of this past year, I really don't think Ole Miss fans were very happy with Elaine Kiffin at all. I think to them, Kiffin, who's probably no stranger to flirting, let's be honest here, was flirting too much with the Auburn job. And when they're losing Egg Bowl with a coach who only seemed to be halfway paying attention and halfway bought in, I think for a lot of Rebels fans, that rubbed them the wrong way. And ultimately, Lane Kevin decided to stay. And I'm not really quite so sure right now exactly how all Ole Miss fans feel about Lane Kevin. Probably more positive than not because, you know, if you look at the overall history of Ole Miss, you know, Kevin's probably a pretty good coach to have. But. Ole Miss is still a fan base that respects itself and wants respect. And I don't know that they felt respected by Lane Kiffin at the end of this past year. It has been an interesting offseason already for Ole Miss and the fact they've brought in two transfer quarterbacks to compete alongside Jackson Dart to see who's going to be the LSU starter here. I should say the Ole Miss starter here. Um, eventually, I believe that job, if I had to guess right now, although my guesses and predictions often turn out to be wrong, I would say that Spencer Sanders, the former Oklahoma State quarterback, would maybe unseat Dart and hold off uh, – Howard and become the guy Walker Howard from LSU and become the guy who is the Ole Miss starter and I think for Ole Miss what they want to do is upgrade the quarterback position I think they want better quarterback play this year than what they got a year ago and that may be what Sanders is called upon to do but for Lane Kiffin in particular for a guy that has talked nonstop about other SEC jobs on Twitter who seemed very very interested for a while the Auburn job until he wasn't and then you know had a little bit of a media war over that topic Trying to show Ole Miss fans that he really is happy in Oxford, I think that's a pretty important job for him this year. And regaining some of that fan trust, some of that booster trust, alumni trust, that maybe he lost towards the end of last year. It's a storyline that I frankly don't think has gotten enough attention, but I do think some important for this upcoming year will make that. Cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So as we told you, this is normally the time of the show. We do our golden shoes. We mentioned on Friday, we're going to take a little bit of a break from golden shoe stuff here uh, this week and get back to that again next week. Um, but we're always glad to have you with us. We love your golden shoe submissions. And around here, important for you to remind, be reminded from time to time that we believe that a good Georgia fan is a Gatorator, first and foremost. How we got things started around here way back many years ago, the idea that we're going to count down every day until Georgia plays those lousy, stinking Gators and Jacks. Well, it's worked out well for the dogs. 
We're going to keep it going here and remind you, nice even number today. How about 250 days before Georgia takes on Florida in what might be one of the final cocktail parties in Jacksonville? But either way, uh, we are uh, looking forward to it. 250 days from right now, we'll make that your Gator Hater Countdown. Also, hope you're enjoying uh, our shows here while I'm on vacation. Fun ones later tomorrow. We'll come back and do it again. We'll see you then. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of Georgia.